the challenge is off to Mexico for the fourth time to finish out a gauntlet trilogy. We've got Rookies vs. Vets showdown that turns out to be a snooze fest competitively. Everyone in the house is hooking up. The men decide they truly could care less about the women. An icon exits on her own terms, and the final challenge goes very wrong for one player, leading to a surprise DQ win for the ages. It's the challenge, the gauntlet three full season rewatch and recap coming up right now. What up, my fellow challenge lovers? Welcome to the Challenge Historian, where we dive deep into all things the challenge, past, present, or future, if it's happening in the challenge universe. Then I am here to document it. I am your host and dedicated challenge historian, Jacob Holliball. Thank you so very much for being here with me today. Today, a lovely Friday it is. We are here to talk about the Gauntlet 3, our second trilogy finale in a row here coming off the inferno three now we're on the gauntlet three season 15 the rewatch series continues on into um a memorable season for a couple singular reasons but also a season that uh certainly has its ups and downs and we are going to talk about it all as we always do before Doing so, a couple programming notes. This will be the last of the rewatch series for a few weeks. Not ever. We're doing every single season. Don't you worry. But for a few weeks, I'm going to be on vacation. Um, and so we are going to take a couple weeks off from the rewatch series itself, filling it in with something else. One moment on that. But when we do come back two to three weeks from now, we're going to hopefully be starting to have some guests on for some of the next few seasons that we'll be covering uh, as some very important things go down in the challenge world, we need more than just my expert opinions on the matter. So, rewatch series will be back uh, later this month, early next month. But in its place, we'll obviously continue covering the Challenge USA every Wednesday night, Thursday morning, as that goes. And once season thirty-eight, which is wrapped filming now, has an announced date and trailer and anything like that, we'll of course hop on and start to cover that season, but in the place of the rewatch series for the next couple of weeks, we will instead have some player career recaps, career retrospective type videos and podcasts coming out for you for some of the early giants, the early greats, the OGs, the legends of the game. We're 15 seasons in on the rewatch series now, which means we've covered the full career of a lot of big name folks from the early days. I'm talking the Corals, the Mizzes, the Theos, the Timmies, the Veronicas, at least, you know, part one of Veronica's career. Thank goodness we get even more Veronica, but that's a ways down the road. So we've got a lot of iconic characters who we've covered their entire career now, 15 seasons in. So we want to go back and dive into just them in particular, them specifically, give them the flowers that they deserve for being the early icons, the early faces, the early legends of this game. So those are going to be coming at least one a week for the next two to three weeks um, until we get through four, five, six 
of those, and then we will hop back over, either do those simultaneously with the rewatch or just back into the rewatch. But uh, either way, you'll be getting at least two pods a week for the foreseeable future, if not a third, pending how, how into it I get here with making these career retrospective videos. So that's what's coming up on the pod over the next few weeks. As for today, the Gauntlet 3, that's all we're here to talk about. Let's dive on in. Same as we always do, start at the highest level. Basics of the season, where the challenge is at coming in, the evolutions of the game and the show that took place. Then we dive into the main storylines of the season, follow that up with a whole bunch of awards, because you know I love my awards, and then finish it up with the season MVP and the final season grade, placing this season, the Gauntlet 3, in the pantheon of all seasons of the challenge for all time. These are my history books. We're writing them here live. Thank you for being here and listening. Let's dive on in. Kicking it off with the state of the challenge here. Where was the challenge? This was back in 2008, and for the first time in a long time, maybe ever, in the 15th season of the show, they decided to turn the dial back down from maybe a 12 out of 10. They had that thing cranked up to max capacity for a long, long time, dialed it back to just a regular full-blown 10 out of 10. And I say that because of a couple things. One, this is the longest layoff between seasons airing that there had been since Battle of the Seasons into Battle of the Sexes. There was six full months, if you can believe it, a whole six months. What a long time. Without a challenge season airing between mid-2007 when the Inferno 3 ended and when the Gauntlet 3 premiered in January 2008, that six-month break was the longest again since season five into six, so nine seasons in a row where they're getting them out within one, two, three, four months months of each other at most a lot of them one month or two months after each other this one a full six months later so they are dialing it back a little bit slowing down the production just by a touch and the show with that continues to kind of enter its ugly era this season you know we talked if you listened to the Inferno 3 podcast, uh, you know that we talked, that was kind of the beginning really of this kind of uglier era for the challenge or where an ugly cloud hung over the challenge in all the seasons, kind of every season in a row for uh, a slew of them here. If you didn't listen to that podcast, I just basically caught you up. It started in the Inferno 3 really in earnest with some nastiness between the cast and some you know production decisions leading to some more of that nastiness being fostered. This season kicks it up a whole nother notch. We're going to talk about that uh, at length in the storylines in the show. Part of the turning it back from the 12 out of 10 to the 10 out of 10 to the, you know, let's put six months between these. Let's maybe space them out just a touch more and try to do, you know, two every 13 months versus two every nine to 10 months was because it was finding its new set of stars. This is the second season in a row where we've got some, you know, big name stars from the early days of the show on their last seasons, like a Coral is the biggest name here. Timmy on the previous season was kind of the biggest there. And this season, while the last two featured, you know, we'd had three seasons in a row where anyone that was on the real world basically is coming in directly to the Challenge House. Now, they're just trying to promote that Austin 
Key West fresh meat as much as they can because this cast of 32, which ends up being 33 with one replacement, has five of the seven Austin cast members, and that's not including Wes, who isn't here, five of the Key West cast members and seven of the fresh meat, not from the fresh meat season in total, just the actual of the 12 fresh meat competitors, seven of them are here in this season. So they are really, really, really trying to push this new crop of stars, their latest people they've found in the last couple of years debuted in the last few seasons of the real world or the challenge. And they are pushing them, pushing them, pushing them. And as for the real world and road rules, Real World's about to have its first kind of down season in basically ever, uh, which at the end of this season, the Gauntlet 3, they promo the Real World Hollywood. That season, while, uh, you know, has its moments, certainly is definitely one of the first ones where it's like, oh, we don't really develop any stars out of this season it gets a little dark at times, and part of that's interesting and real, you know, all the things about the real world that make the real world an interesting show, but uh, it's not the best one for sure, and road rules side, we've coming off viewers' revenge, we're bringing a few of those cast members into the challenge, but that season went poorly, some would say horribly, and it was the official death of the road rules franchise, so that's where the challenge is at and MTV's reality landscape to some degree is at. Let's talk the basics of this season of the challenge. TJ Lavin is, of course, here to host, the host with the most. What a great guy, TJ Lavin. Love having him here. We are in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, the fourth season ever filmed in Mexico, fourth out of 15. Clearly, Mexico becomes the number one destination. It's, you know, has many, many fantastic seasons are held there. It's one of the best possible locations, just given the weather and everything else. It is January to March 2008. That is when these episodes air, which there is only nine of them, plus a reunion, so 10 in full. More on that in a moment. 33 contestants back up in the number this season. We you know, haven't crossed the 30 threshold for three or four seasons now, but here we go. 33 people, originally 32. One replacement comes in before we get to 33. Every single one of them are the veterans team, teams of people who have played two or more seasons of the challenge before. Adam from Paris, Brad from San Diego, CT from Paris, DM, Easy, Evan, Evelyn, Kenny, all from Fresh Meat, Paula Key West, Robin San Diego, Danny Austin, Katie the Quest, Casey Fresh Meat, Coral back to New York, Beth Los Angeles, and Donnie Divananzio, now Johnny Divananzio, not yet fully Johnny Bananas in the cue cards, but it goes from John to Johnny this season, so good job there. That's your veterans team, your rookie team, Frank from Las Vegas, Jillian for Extreme from Extreme, Johanna, Nehemiah, and Rachel from Austin, Tori from Viewer's Revenge, Ryan from Fresh Meat, MJ from Philadelphia, Melinda from Austin, Derek from Viewer's Revenge, Zach and Janelle from Key West, Tyree and Brooke from Denver, Tyler from Key West, Angel from Viewer's Revenge, and Alex from Real World Denver. That's a lot of people, but as you can see, most of those faces, fresh faces, like we said before, five Key West, five Austin, seven Fresh Meat, three Viewer's Revenge, three Denver, they're just packing, packing, packing this thing with all of the newest faces of the show. And that brings us to the evolutions, the first, the history that was made, our final portion of this high, high, high level overview here. And the biggest one, we just referenced it a moment ago, the episode length and format, massive evolution for the show itself. 
The episode length doubles this season. We go from your, I say, 30-minute and 60-minute episodes, but what I mean by that is really 21-minute and 42-minute episodes because this is obviously airing on network television. There are commercials, but the time frame it is airing in, you understand. It's just easier for me to say 30 and 60. So we've previously been on 30-minute program. Now we're on a 60-minute program, double the length of the episode, but... Really, they're just putting two episodes in one because it does follow the exact same format as the prior few seasons where we have a daily challenge, an elimination, a daily challenge, an elimination, one's a men's, one's a women's, back and forth. And in previous seasons, it would just be one episode. That's the men's elimination day. Daily elimination, boom, we're done with the men's side. Then we do the same for the women's side. This season, instead, just daily Elimination on the men's side, daily elimination on the women's side actually flipped. It was all, it ends up being women first, men second on each episode. But you get what I'm saying. They basically just put two episodes into one, aired in a one-hour block instead of a 30-minute block. And instead of the 16 to 18 episodes we've had for a while, we now have the nine episodes plus the reunion. So big, big change there in the episode length and in how they're putting this show out, which also extends into future seasons where there is the bigger gaps between seasons airing on the television and just was a big, big decision made by the production side and MTV and Viacom and everyone else to decide that, hey, this show's still awesome, but instead of being on for 18 weeks, what if we were on for longer, a full hour block and could make you know a bigger, bigger deal out of the show in our lineup? Then they also, along with the episode length and format, the other one, just a quick shout out, saved the final gauntlet for the open of the finale episode, which is the second time they've ever done that. The gauntlet two was the first time and was something that would become a staple of the show later on down the line and is a necessary thing to make that final episode a little bit more entertaining than just watching the final itself, but, you know, long way down the road. We get to two-part finale episodes, which uh, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know, not a big fan of those. Another evolution this season. No bank accounts for the dailies in a team season. First time ever that we've got a team season where the daily challenges aren't worth some money along the way. That has a massive negative impact on the game. We will talk about that in the storylines. And another evolution, not even evolution, this has been happening for a while, but some history made this season by far, far and away, the most hookups in one season in challenge history. Not just up until this point, but I feel confident in saying through the rest of them. I don't remember every single season. I know there's plenty of seasons with lots of hooking up, but... uh This season, as we'll talk about, we'll run through all of them, uh, easily has the most ever up until this point, and I think it's going to hold that crown through the rest of this rewatch series. Then we got a couple stats to mention here to wrap this up on the historical side. Coral uh, makes a couple couple statistical history here. She first and foremost retakes the confessional lead over her best pal, Mike the Miz. Coral at the end of the season has 273 total confessionals to Mike the Miz's 249. Third place is Derek Kaczynski at 182. 89, 91, I don't know how to do math, 90 plus away from Coral in first place. So Coral's going to hold. This is her final season. She's not going to add to that confessional lead, but she's going to hold that lead for quite some time. And speaking of that, Coral also moved to second 
ever in the total episodes that she is a part of. She comes one shy of Veronica. Veronica still holds the belt at 84. Coral moves up to 83 with this one. If I counted reunions and specials, I think actually Coral would be a episode or two in front of Veronica, but this is just counting base episodes of the show. Then we've got Danny and Katie joining Derek Kaczynski in uh, an unfortunate category, the only people ever with three elimination losses to their name. And of course, Danny is the only of those three who has zero wins. Uh, Katie, three wins. Derek, six wins. Danny, zero and three. Not a great record for my guy. Finalist, two-time club, two-time finalist club grows all the way to 34 people with this season with Brad, Robin, Katie, Evelyn, and Paula all making their second ever final. And then the winner's club, we don't have any, we have all brand new winners. Six people win this season. They are six brand new winners, bringing our total winners ever up to 60 individuals through 15 seasons have won a season of the challenge. This is the most new winners in one season since the first gone season seven so it's been a while since we've had this many brand new people winning the show six total so that's some of your statistical history your evolutions of the show where we were at from a high level now let's dive in deep and let's get to talking about the meat of this season the biggest possible storylines there is only one place to start when talking stories of this season there is one dominant story of the season and that is that one team absolutely dominates like we've probably easily possibly yes have never seen before we've seen dominant seasons by a team or even pair at this point I'm thinking Battle of the Sexes 1 and 2. I'm sorry, ladies, but those weren't super competitive. The men, you know, dominated in most fashion on those seasons. But the thing there was that when the women won on those seasons, they won fair and square because they were better and they won that day's thing. And there was an actual possibility that either team could win at the end and the same amount of people were being eliminated on both sides. So even if one team was winning most of the daily challenges, it felt like a still competitive season because the teams were staying the same size. The best players were staying on the weaker team, making them a little bit better and better. This season, not so much. The veterans absolutely dominate in a crazy way, the likes of which we have not seen. And I would I would say we will not see, except we literally will see again two seasons from now because production will continue to not learn its lessons. More on that in a moment. But the vets win 11 of the 16 daily challenges. Now, couple caveats with that, though. You say 11 out of 16. Hey, they won a lot, but, you know, it's only two-thirds. It's not crazy that one team would win two-thirds over the other. But let's break this down. First and foremost, yes, some would tell you there's only 15 daily challenges. I consider the tug of war to open the season to pick the spots where you would sleep as a daily challenge. So I bump it up to 16. They won 11 out of the 16. Let's analyze those five times that the veterans lost this season, though. The first one they lose, Blind Man's Race, a daily challenge where they are at a massive disadvantage because every player has to complete the same course blindfolded. At the time, the vets have four more players than the rookies already at this point, and so that massive disadvantage, they still almost overcome it and win, but they lose that one. So they lose one because of a huge, huge numbers disadvantage. Then the next three times they lose, it's because they throw the mission. The men throw the mission to get rid of some of the women on their team. So 
they give those ones up, they easily probably definitely would have won all three of them had they tried. They almost won some of them without trying. And then the final one, they are at a massive numbers disadvantage on the final daily of the season. And Adam, who is kind of acting as team leader on the challenge, is technically working against them, hoping the other team will win, having made a deal with Frank. So you could say of the five they lost, four of them they lost because they totally threw. The fifth one, they were at a massive numbers disadvantage, a.k.a. They never straight up lose this entire season. Every daily challenge, they either win or purposely lose or get so screwed over by the fact that they have been winning so much and have so many more people that they can't possibly win that. They even win the final challenge after Easy goes down. We will, of course, talk more about Easy going down a little bit later, but the fact that they win, they have to stop. They're already going slower, and then they have to stop for quite a while to let Easy get taken off by the medics, and then they still come back and win. The final challenge is just absolutely insane. Yes, having more people helped on the digging at the end, but it also hurt them on a couple of the little mini challenges through the final. That's incredible, and it just really points back to production. Uh, The original teams just aren't the idea of vets versus rookies in this in this moment of time in the challenge just wasn't a good idea and they didn't set up a game that was going to work at all because the original teams just there was kind of no chance that the vets were going to lose early on because they made all of the opening events purely physical and when one team has CT, Evan, Brad, Kenny, Bananas, Evelyn, Paula, Coral, it's just like, you know, that's the maybe the best team we've ever seen put together in the challenge um, up until this point. Certainly, I would say the Ruins team is going to end up being better a few seasons later. But it's from an unfair standpoint. You're like, that's their team, and they, we're doing a tug of war first, and then we're doing mud wrestling second. And, you know, we're off to just this horrible, horrible start. We're eliminating dudes from the one team immediately. And it just, you know, but besides the fact they already have the experience, they've done some of this stuff before, they know what to expect, they know what headspace to be in, and you just give them a way stack team, make everything physical up front. This was bound to happen. The vets were bound to absolutely dominate this season, which brings me to the second storyline that's woven into this, which production absolutely fucked this challenge up. They Production, this is the first time... In the, in the history of the show that we really, really, really got to talk about how big of a failure from a production standpoint this season was. I get it. They're going into the 15th season. You know, you got to start, you know, they've had to, you know, they've had to evolve over the years. We talk about the evolutions every time we do one of these rewatch episodes. They've had to come up with new things, new twists, keep it fresh, bringing in new people. It's a very, very difficult thing. The idea that they were going to go, you know, we were, we would be sitting here at 37 on the verge of a 38th season plus spinoffs here, there, and everywhere and say that all of them went perfectly in production, nailed every decision, every season for all time. Obviously that's not going to happen. And so it's not me saying like, I can't believe they fucked this up. It's just it, the reality of what it is that they were going to at some point make some major mistakes, make some poor decisions. This was one of those seasons where that happened because a couple things went down. First, having more or less people was a massive advantage and or disadvantage in almost every one of the daily challenges. And that screwed up the entire season. Most of the time, 
most of the time, it was a massive advantage to have more people once or twice. Specifically, it was a massive disadvantage to have more people. We mentioned one of those already where the rookies got their first win the second time around that it was a massive disadvantage to have more people. The vets still won in the dig them up, whatever, dig you out of a buried grave slash trivia challenge. We will talk about that in the best dailies of the season. But it was such a joke. It made all the challenges a joke. There was people openly commenting on it and arguing about it. And how is Danny and Melinda getting a huge fight uh, over the fact that she's, you know, walking around the house like this is bullshit. Every time we show up to a daily challenge and because we lost the first few and we were down a couple people, every daily challenge, we just get smoked because it helps to have more people. And she's not wrong. Not wrong at all. Almost every single one. They don't balance any of them out. They don't do any, you know, I think there's only one time where they say like, you know, hey, you've got one more person. It's early on. And so Derek goes twice in uh, one of where they have to spin, spin wheels a bunch, do a bunch of cartwheels and stuff in one of the early daily challenges, one of the worst ones of the season. But otherwise, they don't try to do any sort of, you know, you have to have people sit out or you get to have people go twice or it's average team time. They literally have multiple events where it's just total team time. And as someone who has complained about the, you know, team events in the past really being partners, but they do the average time to make it a team win or loss and how I don't love necessarily that structure. Average team time is certainly way, way, way better than just total time when one team has five more or less people than the other. They don't do any balancing. It's a joke. It makes the dailies kind of a joke, both watching it and literally the people living it and acting in it are uh, are feeling the same way. And then on top of that, making it even worse than making the teams unbalanced, just completely one-sided stacked from the start, which you could kind of get behind. You can kind of understand of like, hey, we kind of secretly want these people who are trying to make the new stars of the show. We want them to win again. We want them to all be around until the end. But also your rookie team is your newest, newest people, your first and second season people. You kind of want them to turn into some stars too. So anyways, but they stack the one team. They have more or less people being a total advantage, disadvantage, and that making the daily challenges a joke. And then on top of all of that, they remove the incentive to try on the opposite gender's daily challenges. They remove the bank accounts and the you earn money by winning the daily challenges. They just say, hey, last challenge, final challenge, that's worth all 300000 All you got to do is win that. The only incentive to win daily challenges is prizes, which the prizes take a massive step back. The prizes basically don't matter this season. They had been awesome for many seasons in a row. This season, prizes, not so good. Um, but with the prizes, it's just safety. If you win on a, when, a men's day, the men are all safe on your team. If you win on a women's day, you're all, all the women on your team are safe. And that leads to all of the men immediately realizing that, hey, one, less people here then means less people spitting money. And two, we don't have to try on the women's days if we don't want to. They can also not try on ours day. They can come back at us, but we don't have an incentive. It doesn't matter to us. We're not making or losing money based on these daily challenges. And that leads to a lot, that decision to remove that incentive from the daily challenges leads to a lot of the misogyny and gross behavior from the men's side here. Obviously, that is not taking you know culpability away from the actual males in the house who are acting like complete and utter assholes all season long. But 
they are given the incentive to go that route. And then they're also via production and the confessionals and the questions they're being asked in the confessionals, which we always have to remember. Anytime you see a confessional, that is not someone just like, hey, I I got something to say to the camera. That is a producer behind the camera asking them questions about what's going on to lead them to say things and talk about certain topics. So production very wrapped up in the fact that this season devolves into some ugliness quickly. And with the guys treating the women like shit, based, you know, the trim the fat mantra that is used grossly, repeatedly over and over and over by Evan and Kenny and CT and Danny and basically the entire uh, veterans team and the the rookies team as well here and there and the show itself, which calls the reunion trimming the fat, leans all the way into it. Just a lot of bad decisions from the production standpoint, which leads to a season that's not competitive, which leads, you know, not being competitive is part of the fun of the show. That removes a lot of that. It leads to a lot of nastiness between the men and the women in the show. The type of drama that is not what we want, that is on the wrong side of that line, that, you know, gray line that we always talk about, we're trying to walk up to, well, all the bullshit that goes down this season, most of the bullshit and the the BS coming out of the men's mouths this season is across that line and gross and dumb, and it's incentivized and promoted and you know exaggerated because of the production's decisions. And that's you know I've ranted long enough on it. You get it. Production fucked this one up. It would not be their last time ever doing this. It was their first time doing it in a massive, massive way where they just the formatting decisions, the team decisions. They really, really screwed the pooch. And sadly, they would not learn from this because as we will talk about three seasons from now on the ruins, they basically just run this season back in an even worse fashion. And, uh, well, you know, we'll, we're not skipping seasons, so we'll talk about that one when we talk about that one. Let's move on to our our next big storyline of this season, a little more fun one. We've talked about the men and women maybe not getting along and the men being pretty big assholes this season, but sometimes, often, a lot of them did get along individually, one-on-one, sometimes two-on-one. They did get along really, really, really well. And that's because this season, as we said in the evolutions in history, had the most hookups of all time. So let's play a quick game of ship or no. Do we like the relationship? Do we not? Obviously, this was, you know, 14, 15 years ago. So we know who of these people, if any, none of them is the answer and actually ended up together, which actually I don't technically know that there's one at the top of the list. I do not know how long they stayed together. If they still are possibly together today, they very well could be Neither of them is on Instagram, which is the only way I catch up with any of these cast members. So if you're not on there, I don't know what's going on with you. But we start with Jillian and Frank, America's most boring couple, according to Tyler Duckworth. They are uh, fall madly in love this season. By the reunion, they're living together. They've bought a house with that 100K between the two of them that they get. They're lovely. They're wonderful. Are they a little boring? Sure, but you know what? Boring just means that they're at a nice, stable couple and that they actually fall for each other, like each other, spend their time together, and uh, enjoy eat, being around each other and no one else in the house, which somewhat understandable this season and they both fight for each other the whole thing it's wonderful Jillian and Frank stars of the season for sure we'll talk more about them later then we got Brad and Tori this is the season that Brad and Tori get together obviously no we do not ship them because we know while they would get married have two beautiful children together we know where that is at today and uh you know 
without knowing a lot of the details behind the scenes. We're with you, Brad. Uh, we feel for you. And, you know, that relationship, while a big one in the history of the challenge, certainly we're going to talk about it more on the next few seasons as they do some more seasons together. No, we don't ship that one because we know where it ultimately would go. But glad they're both doing individually doing good these days. Then we got Casey and Johnny. Nah, nah, it was good for Johnny, um, I guess good for Casey, but uh, it's it's a wonderful, memorable hookup, uh, you know, them on his birthday, at his birthday party, she's running out of windows naked, everyone's joking around about it, then we got Paula and Derek, Paula finds a man on this season, it is wonderful, as always, Paula is the, the queen and king, and just best ever at this show of having an actual legitimate relationship that starts innocently and nicely and cute and wonderful. And at the end of the season, they're like, that was really wonderful, but we're not going to date. And it's just drama-free, lovely, nice. They both appreciate it in the moment. She seems to be able to do this every season. And while there's some other men and women on these shows that you know find a hookup every season... Uh, it's a little bit more messy and a little bit, uh, you know, some nastiness to it on the backside. Paula never seems to do that. Her and Derek, they're wonderful here. There's a hilarious moment in the reunion where they show the goodbye between them lasts forever. And TJ's just over on the other the side, like holding his head, like, come on, just say goodbye. You just met this guy like a week ago. Like, just leave each other alone. And so Paula and Derek love them. Yes, we ship them. Tyler and Ryan have a flirtation early in the season. Um, Tyler wants more. Ryan wants less. Says, we can make out drunk. That's about it. Paula, we find out, is maybe involved in one shower escapade during the reunion. (laughs) So just doing great things this season, Paula. But Tyler and Ryan, no, because we know they, they didn't want it in the moment any, or at least Ryan didn't. But it was nice, nice to see them having some fun. The makeout in the pool is just uh, one of the all-time challenge makeouts. I mean, they are getting after it. Then we've got Rachel and Easy, not shown on the regular show, but shown in the reunion. Maybe there was a little canoodling in the bed there. Loved that, shipped that one. Then we got Melinda and Danny, obviously come into this season and leave this season still together from the real-world Austin days and a couple challenges in now. Nope, not loving that one, but uh, this season is, you know, they they have some nice moments this season of, you know, him taking care of her when she gets a concussion during one of the challenges. They also have some not nice moments between them. Then we've got Evelyn and Brooke, the unexpected couple out of nowhere. Brooke decides that, you know, maybe she's she's had it up with the men, so maybe she'll try some women. She falls for Evelyn. Evelyn, out of nowhere, falls hard for Brooke. It's a it's an intense couple day romance, one episode, one to two episode romance, and then Brooke gets sent home, and it's over. And then, of course, DM and CT, we don't get a lot of them this season. We only really get when CT's drunk. DM has to be like, hey, we should go to bed, and we, you know, they, we see that they're together. We get a, the only super cute moment we really get is when she shaves his head, and she's just all smitten with seeing his shaved head because he's got some lettuce going at the start of this season, which is pretty incredible. But all in all, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different couples that form this season. That's eighteen different people making up couples and I feel like I'm honestly forgetting at least someone from the early uh the first episode of the show where there's just a massive montage of here's everyone who's making out tonight uh but 
nine different couples in one season. I don't think that record can ever be touched. And thank goodness that we get all this romance and these hookups and that some of them are actually lovely and interesting and nice to see because after last season where we literally got zero, literally zero, as we talked about on that podcast, uh, it was nice to have, you know, to overcorrect back in this form and to know that the hookups and the romance wasn't leaving the challenge house anytime soon. So that was a huge, huge storyline throughout the season. You know, not just the hookups themselves, but then the cross team alliances, you know, with Brad and Tori hooking up, that's who's saving who here. Jillian and Frank, fend, you know, defending themselves within their own team, becoming kind of the outcasts of their team, even though they were their best players on their team. And, you know, then Danny and Melinda, the cross team, Evan Brooke cross team, you know, a bunch of a bunch of stuff like that. So it, it was great television. It was great content. And it was also an interesting layer to the allegiances within the game. A final storyline to touch on briefly here then is we mentioned earlier during the state of the challenge, it was a period where just like the season before, really the last two seasons, this one is the game being given over to new stars. We've got the big exit from Coral this season, her final season. We've got the Beths and the Katies of the world that, you know, still bring a lot to the show, but clearly maybe don't belong in this new type of game anymore. The the game has changed around them to become this more physical sport-like thing that is maybe leaving some stars of old behind. And the JEK era is officially here for better and worse. Um, Johnny, Evan, Kenny are, you know, front facing. They are the stars of the show at this point. They are put forward as such at this point. You know, they're all on their third season, third or fourth, even Kenny. Is this Kenny's fourth season? Um, but uh, this is the first time they're all three both together for more than a single episode. Uh, and so that era is officially here. Plus, you throw in Evelyn. Paula and the entire Austin cast, and you've got yourself your new crop of stars or what they are putting forward as their new crop of stars replacing some of the older stars. You know, second season in a row, we have a big retirement between Coral this season, Timmy last season. So the game's being given over to the new stars. It's being tailored to those people. It's certainly being some decisions behind the scenes made to help promote those people as much as possible. And uh, it leads to a lot of good things. It also, you know, leads to a lot of bad things, as we've discussed here last season. We'll discuss the next few seasons, of course. So those are your biggest stories of of the Gauntlet 3. If you think back to the Gauntlet 3, you think the vets just absolutely kick ass right up until the very end when the big DQ happens in the final. That production totally fucked this season up with the template, the format that they went with, a couple key decisions they made, incentivizing some of the nastiness and ugliness that arose within the house, the culture of the show, the show itself this season, that there was an incredible amount of hookups and that there was new stars being put forward to replace some of the stars of old who had either aged out or just simply weren't meant for this new style game. Time to hand out some trophies. We start as we tend to do on the sport side of the show, sport and show, two pillars of the challenge. We start with the sporting-based awards and start with best daily challenge of the season. Haven't talked much about the dailies, so a couple quick comments on the dailies overall. I do love that production 
upped the level of production required for many of the daily challenges this season. We talked a lot about all the faults they had this season, but one thing they did right or well and impressively is the amount of building that needed to go into a lot of these daily challenges of thought and creativity into creating and constructing the daily challenges. They really took it to a new level this season. Uh, We'll talk about a couple of them specifically here in a moment. The team ones, you know, are just always a little harder uh, to make cool consistently in the world of the challenge. We will see that over the years as we get into more pairs and individual seasons and the way they're able to make cooler and easier variations on daily challenges. When it's something a whole team has to be able to do together to some effect, it makes it a little bit harder to have consistently cool and interesting ones. This season falters from that a little bit. And obviously, the one thing we have talked about, the competitiveness was completely lacking, which makes the Daily challenges a little less interesting for this particular season, but four of them still stood out as the best of the season and are nominated for the best daily of the season. That is episode one's pinata pit. This is your good old classic, just mud wrestling, big old pit of water, couple feet deep, muddy water, bunch of balls drop in musical chairs style. Not enough for everyone round by round. People are eliminated until this one comes down to a one-on-one battle because they do a men's round, a women's round, Opposite team wins, though, so they have to have a one-on-one face-off between CT and Derek as the tiebreaker, and CT ends up winning that, and it's uh, it's a wonderful ending. So that one, super great, and just a challenge classic at this point already in the season or in the show's history, and continue to be forever mud wrestling for musical chair style. Great, great stuff. Then episode five, assembly required. This is one of the biggest ones I'm referencing when I say the amount of production required was insane. This one, they had a literal temple built, a 900 square foot, 20 foot tall, weighed hundreds and hundreds of pounds, like 20 total pieces to build it. Temple laying out in the middle of the field that you had to deconstruct piece by piece as a team, and it took multiple people to carry all the different pieces, take it all apart, and then move it across the field and put it all back together. And it was just wild that they built these two freaking huge temple puzzles in the first place. It was very cool. It was a competitive challenge. Uh, the while the men did kind of throw it for the vet side, uh, the rookies at least put up a good effort in their win, and so that one really good. Then we got episode. Six, I dig you, which was the closest we got to trivia this season. It was, it was trivia. It was cast-based trivia where they had to bury all of their teammates in the ground, buried alive inside of coffins, two feet under the sand. Very, very scary stuff. They all had the cameras inside. It was really good footage, really interesting. One player started out up above ground. They had to answer three true or false questions about each cast member. If they got them right, they could dig that cast member out. That cast member could then continue helping them get the rest of them out. This was the one the vets won even at a massive disadvantage. It was first to get all your teammates out. There was a five-person difference between the vet and rookie team at this time, so the rookies had way less people to get out, way more time to be able to do this and win, but poor Nehemiah struggled mightily with the cast trivia. Couldn't get almost any of them right early on. Meanwhile, Evan on the other side just nailing every single one all the way through, gets everyone out super-duper fast. They win trivia always even in this version of it is interesting the buried alive is fascinating i dig you great great daily challenge and then fourth and final episode eight's chill out 
This one, they have to go into a cold storage room where there is a tub of ice and they have to one by one get in and submerge in that tub of ice and then get out and the next person does it. Rounds of five. Every round, they increase how long each person has to stay in the ice. You quit when you're ready to quit. Last person standing wins for their team. This one is memorable. One, because uh, it's kind of a, an interesting one. They hadn't done a lot of like super cold-based challenges like this before. And quick aside, this one is not nearly as hard. They all make it seem like it's the hardest thing in the world. And as someone who loves cold therapy, cold plunges, cryotherapy, anything super cold, super cold water, I'm in on it. Uh, you know, I may be biased, but it is not nearly as hard as they make it look here. The submerging the head is the part that's the brutal part of all of this. But otherwise... I feel like they could have went longer, but this one's really memorable because it's where Danny, their whole team's trying to throw it. Danny ends up in there last by himself, tries to cut a deal with the other team. They say no. Frank says no. The rest of them say yes. Then Frank outs him immediately afterwards. His whole team gets suspicious. They end up throwing Danny in. Danny goes home last person before the final. So chill out is a very memorable one for that. But of those four, Pinata Pit Episode 1, classic mud wrestling, coming down to a tiebreaker with CT winning a mud wrestling tiebreaker is just too good to pass up that is the best daily of the season next up is the best elimination the other sporting event of the season quick commentary on the eliminations as a whole another season where we have a wheel with five possible options no four one two three four five possible options plus spin it again options on the wheel which we never see it land on maybe it does and they just don't show that but uh five options one of which absolutely sucks. Sliders sucks. The one puzzle one. Um, yes, uh, you know, puzzles are great and they got to have one that's a puzzle based for sure. But I just, the sliders, the actual eliminations themselves all kind of end up sucking. Even the one where there's puppet masters involved, where it's Frank and Adam on the sides giving Paula and Katie every instruction to do that's kind of interesting. But Sliders kind of sucks. Ankle breaker is one that thankfully they only do once because it looks super dangerous and super painful where they have to be tied together by one ankle and pull each other opposite directions in the sand until one of them gets to a finish line. Ram at home in force field. Both good television to some degree, but or both good eliminations as far as like is this a good competition, but kind of boring television is what I meant to say there. Not good television. Um, those one ram at home. You stand on either side of a big, uh, 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 what am I starting to say, punching bag that hangs down and you push against each other until you can push one off their side of the beach. Basically, force field is your classic tied together by a rope trying to crawl while pulling the other person away from their uh, finish line. You're crawling through the sand towards yours. That was honestly kind of the best one of the season. But the best game, even if it wasn't always the best results, but it was also the best results, was Ball Brawl. This one was where you had to line up next to each other. There was five uh, footballs laid out down the beach a little ways from you. You ran to it, picked the ball up, and had to get it back across the end zone. Full tackle sport allowed anything you wanted to do to get that ball away from the other person before they crossed the scoring line. You could do it. Each ball was worth one, 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 and then two and two points. 
you had to get to four points to win, which means that there was a lot of giving up on the third ball because it didn't matter if someone got up two to nothing. But ball brawl was really, really great and did lead to, while playing it five times, three of which get nominated for the best elimination of the season. Episode four, Jillian beating Janelle in ball brawl. Episode six, Coral beating Beth in ball brawl. In episode eight, Adam beating Danny in ball brawl. Shout out Jillian, 3-0 in the eliminations this season. The one where she was definitely the under underdog or at least perceived by everyone else as the underdog except for herself um she beats janelle janelle says beforehand that there's no chance literally says out loud tj asked her how she's feeling and says i'm gonna definitely win this um and then jillian smokes her so great job there from her adam beating danny is really really fun because this game was just kind of made for adam as much as everyone else the other four times it's played it is a very physical contact sport when Adam gets there, he uses his quickness. He gets to the ball first, runs a little further to keep distance between himself, uses a couple incredible juke moves to get by Danny, sweeps Danny. It's not even close. And as the last elimination of the season, it's just great to get to see Adam King shine. But the best elim of the season has to go to Coral versus Beth. Uh, as they dub it during it, the matchup of the century, which, yes, it's incredible that after all these years, we get Coral versus Beth in a physical elimination, an elimination with the word brawl in it. But while it's intense, while there is a lot of uh, a lot of tackling, a lot of wrestling going on, and Coral dominates and pulls out the win, uh, if they were to win against anyone else, I don't know that this would have been as awesome as if Coral and Beth did this a few seasons prior, for sure. But regardless, Coral and Beth versus each other in a ball brawl. Very, very great stuff. Coral getting the win. That is the best elimination of the season. Third and final sport-based award, the best athletic performance of the season. A little bit lacking this season. No super-duper standouts the way we've had, you know, some CTs and Landons and Evelyns in the past kind of be like, whoa, those people are just on a different atmosphere of athleticism than the others around them for a season. This one, though, still some good performances, three of which we've already referenced. The three elimination wins that we just said, Jillian, Coral, and Adam all in ball brawl, all three get nominated here for the best athletic performance because that game is a brutal and difficult elimination game to be played, and they all three won against opponents who were either equal to them or even favored over them. So they all three get nominated, as does the fourth and final nominee is Frank beating MJ in Ankle Breaker in episode six. Ankle Breaker, again, looks super painful. Thankfully, they only played it once. You're attached one ankle to the other or one ankle of yours to your opponent's ankle. You're crawling away from each other in the sand trying to drag the other person to your finish line. It just looks horrible. It looks like how either of them didn't break a foot or an ankle. I don't know. But Frank beats uh, MJ in a big, a somewhat big upset at the time and becomes the unequivocal leader of that team. So he gets nominated here. But of those four, I'm going to give the award to Adam for beating Danny because his performance in ball brawl is the most like, whoa, I don't know if anyone out here would have beat him uh, because I don't know if anyone out here would have been able to get their hands on him three times in this event, even some of the big guys on their team. Uh, like a, I mean, It would have been fascinating to see Adam versus CT in that and see like, well, obviously CT could you know crush him, but can CT get his hands on him? Probably a CT, yes. He's such a freak athlete, but 
you get what I'm saying. Adam, best athletic performance. Couldn't give him the best of limb, but will give him solely the best performance for absolutely smoking Danny in the final limb of the season. Then we move to the show side of things, quotes and moments. Let's talk quotes first. This season, admittedly, a little bit lacking in the quote department. A lot of that is because an unfortunate amount of confessional time is used to talk about trimming the fat or wanting all the women to be off of their team and all of that dumb stuff or just talking about how much someone loved someone else or was fallen for someone else and all the romance talk, which occasionally is interesting and funny and fun and you know could get nominated for best quote. But most of the confessionals taken up not as much by the wit and the jokes and everything this season. But we still had some good nominees, five of them, to go through in chronological order. We start with Tori in episode two, who describes what would become of the rookies team very, very well, and we would be remiss if we didn't add in. This is exactly what the rookie team felt like early on, even in episode two, and felt like basically the entire way through. I think all of us just feel like we are the leftover team. We're the bad news bears. This is looking really bad for us, and we better get our act together. Then we've also got episode two, Tyler, coming in. We actually said this quote out loud earlier. It was used a lot throughout the season, but... While I love Frank and Jillian and they had you know the best relationship of all the relationships on this show, it was funny to hear everyone early on be agitated by the fact that they were just off doing their own thing. And Tyler had this to say about them. <laughs> Frank and Jillian actually were just voted on the internet the number one most boring couple in America. Congratulations. Is it the greatest quote in the world? Maybe not, but I just love Tyler so much and he was only there for a couple episodes, so we had to find the best of his uh, always great confessionals to throw in. Then we've got third nominee, Casey, episode four. She's scared of heights. Remember, little Casey always, you know, scared of the heights. She overcomes that fear a time or two in this season, but not without first relieving herself. Some of that anxiety and that nervousness, you know, it'll get you and it'll make you release some things that you're not thinking you're going to release. As soon as I get on the log, I pee myself. What case? You got a girl? I don't like the water. I don't like the heights. And I'm sick and tired of doing these things where I have to jump and fall. I don't do these things. Never fully confirmed if she in fact peed herself. It seems like she's quite serious when she says that she did, but also love the I don't do these things call back to the who does this. No one does this when she first DQ'd on fresh meat from not wanting to jump 30 feet down into the water. Then we got Coral episode five talking about the matchup of the century, her versus Beth and not wanting to lose and not really even wanting to go against Beth. Don't you dare put me up against Beth. Don't you dare let that happen. I will be so pissed at each and every one of you. You guys hang me after dying like that. I don't want to go against Beth. She's got a, a good 50 pounds on me, not, not to mention 50 years. I am not trying to get pushed into a wall by my grandma on steroids. As, as always, incredible stuff from Coral. And then Casey, a second nominee, the final nominee for the quote of the season, talking about the fact that, yeah, there's a lot of romances in the house, but guess what? When those romances cross team lines, team comes over romance every single time. You should know that, Danny. Dude, I get you're pissed, but at the same time, 
You're part of a team. We're trying to win money. This isn't the love boat. We're kicking your girlfriend off. Out of those five, we got to give the award to Coral. Uh, second time, uh, two-time now winner of the quote of the season award for Coral. And if we're going to give out the Dan Renzi award for the best confessional king or queen of the season, we're going to go ahead and give that to Casey. She uh, she provides a lot of great confessionals this season, uh, high-value confessional, not anywhere near the most by any means on this season as a couple of the males go way, 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 way above everyone else on the number of confessionals. But Casey's given good ones. She obviously had two nominees here. So Casey, the Dan Renzi Award, Coral, the quote of the season. Then comes the big award, one of the biggest awards, and the one that we, uh, we've we obviously not been talking about. A couple big specific moments from this season through the storyline part, maybe reference them, but that is because there's only two nominees for the iconic, memorable, infamous, best, however you want to call it, biggest moment of the season. The iconic moment is what we've kind of settled on because iconic feels like it doesn't necessarily mean it's all all good there can be some you know bad within it but it it takes it, it's memorable it's infamous it's legendary it's you know all the things it's an iconic moment and there is two of them to be talked about from this season before we do a couple quick shout outs to some smaller moments that just deserve to be referenced because they're wonderful episode one tyler is drinking wine out of a pitcher he has a pitcher of wine as he walks around and talks with people and i just love that so shout out to him also episode one coral standing up to ct which this reminds me i'm going to throw a third memorable moment into the actual list for the iconic moment more on that in a second but it relates to coral standing up to ct in episode one which is a fun conversation ct smoking the cigarette he tries to wave coral away she gets in his face about it doesn't let it happen as she shouldn't and as coral is you know one, she becomes the second person ever to get in CT's face and fully stand up to CT in a real, real way, and it's wonderful. Episode three, Casey jumping out of the window naked is just hilarious of all the hookups and all the people getting caught. Um, it's just, it's a funny, funny moment where she gets, they, her and Johnny get caught by everyone. And so her idea to get away from it is to jump out of the window towards all the people and run around the house, back into the house. It doesn't seem like the greatest strategy. And then she comes back in the window. Eventually, um, Johnny picks her up and pulls her through the window. It's all, a, uh, it's all a big scene and it's funny. Then episode seven, Ryan, as he's exiting the show, does two jumping, you know, heel cl- heel clip kicks, whatever you want to call them. It's just a nice little, as the sun's kind of setting him on, running down the beach, doing little jumping kicks is a nice, wonderful moment. And then episode nine, which is the finale, the credits after the finale, there is a hilarious moment um, bringing back the good credit scenes. Evan bursts into the room to tell Kenny, we have an emergency. Evelyn has lost her visor, and that's where she gets all of her power from. And Evelyn's visor is, you know, a wonderful little thing within the world of the challenge in this little moment between them pre-final saying she's lost it. It's an emergency. We've got to, we're screwed without it is just a great, great moment. So those are some small moments. As for the three big ones, the iconic moments of the season. First and foremost, Coral quitting the game in episode seven. Quitting the game, leaving on her own terms is not okay with her team throwing challenge after throwing challenge for the women to leave. She gets word that all the guys and some of the girls, I'm looking at you, Evelyn, 
on her team want her specifically gone. She is one of the people being labeled the fat on the team, the anchors of the team, the dead weight of the team, and she's not having any of it. She knows it has been concocted. They get the rookies to throw in Evelyn into elimination. She knows her team's about to throw her in versus her, and she's not going to do it. She's not going to go in against her. She's going to go out on her own terms. She has a discussion with Evan. She lets Evan know, hey, you're, we, we dominated that season. Your first season on the show, we were partners. We were friends. I thought friendship mattered. Friendship used to matter in this game. That was a big part of this game. Reads him the riot act calmly and correctly and talks about like how much you know they were supposed to mean to each other and he's gone against her he's allowed everyone else to go against her and she's still got it she absolutely could be a critical part of a winning team there's no reason to say we have to get rid of her or we can't win it's absurd she's correct she goes home while yes it's sad because it costs casey uh, who then volunteers to go into elimination versus Evelyn because they still have to have an elimination. That part of it really bums me out, and I totally get why Casey is furious about it after the fact, in the moment and after the fact. But Coral going out on her own, uh, on her own, on her own terms, is just a perfect way for Coral to exit this world. And the way she does, and the reasons she does, and the conversation she has on the way out is such. Uh, a perfect encapsulation of the changing of the guard in the show, the changing of the style, the format, the changing of the game in the show in general, where she is saying correctly, this stuff used to matter. What used to matter was, yeah, there were alliances, but it was because people were really good friends. You know, me and Mike, all the drama between her and Mike, the two, you know, the first big, big stars. Veronica was the first ever star of the challenge. Coral and Mike were the first faces of the challenge, and it was all based around their friendship, and that was such a big driving story on their seasons that was interesting and made the game interesting. And her saying, you know, that's gone out of the window. Now it's, you know, people being nasty to each other just to be nasty. It's bullshit being spewed. I could win this, but whatever. It's just it's just all great. And that leads me to that moment in general, big, big moment of the season, memorable moment of the season. She heads out. She leaves the game for good, but not before one more incredible choral performance, which is the one I realized when saying some of the small moments like her standing up to CT, I've got to add in here, and that is choral at the reunion. The entire reunion episode is an incredible time capsule of this show to watch is instructive about the kind of era we have entered of some of the ugliness and of the changing of the guard and the changing of the game that we just said that Coral, you know, talks about when quitting. She talks about at length and the reunion. She repeatedly wins arguments with so many people at the reunion calmly and just because she's correct and they're wrong, talks about all the disgusting nature of things that were going down in the house, how, why she left. She, you know, kind of regurgitates the same thing and is still totally correct. She and Evelyn get into it over how the game is played, how they each view themselves. She wins that argument going away. And she just calls out all the bullshit across the table from every single person that's on the dais and not even there at the reunion. The the bullshit from a production standpoint is even mentioned from time to time. And just that the game was different before, that she was a star, she still is a star, and that the people that played it the way she did should still be respected and appreciated and acknowledged. And 
it's just a tour de force. The whole time you're just like, God damn, she just makes good point after good point, calls out BS after calling out BS. And as many people try to argue against her and every single time, it, 30 seconds later, it's like, yeah, you shouldn't have said that. You look even more like an idiot than Coral was already painting you out to be because you are in this moment. And it's wonderful. And especially as we continue into through the seasons where the, the male, female, the misogyny at play, the tension at play uh, just grows and grows and grows. Um, this is a, a very instrumental reunion to look back on and be like, you you lost this person and this person was the one who could kind of fend off some of this stuff uh, coming up, who would call it out and point it out and do it in a smart manner and an entertaining manner. So that really worked well for the show. So Coral, you're going to be missed. Of course, we will talk a lot about Coral in a future episode coming up within the next few weeks. Just a little tease there. But the third and final nominee for the iconic moment of the season as much as we don't want to do it because we love our guy big easy obviously when you think the gauntlet three the first thing you think about is the final we haven't really talked about it let's talk about it now they get to the final and they go too hard they push easy too hard too early he ends up passing out uh, needing medical attention, being taken off in the stretcher, and they then lose the final because they have to have every single member cross the finish line. And even though they come back and actually win time-wise, TJ lets them know that, nope, you don't have all your members here. Rookies win by default. It's you know maybe the most memorable moment in final history for you know possibly for sure outside of maybe some stealing the money moments and things like that. And it's a it's an incredibly, you know, it's a sad moment because you feel so much for Big Easy. Um, you also, it's a pivotal kind of what if moment in the history of the show, given all the people on his team and what another win would do for their careers and resumes in the challenge house. And, you know, it's just it's just a big bummer because it feels avoidable. As you know, in the moment, Brad is the only one who really stands up for like, we need to freaking slow down here. And we need, to, you know, he says in the moment after when they get to the finish line, like if we just would have walked, we still would have won and we could have won and we should have been doing that. He has now recounted, you know, many times afterwards on different podcasts and things that he felt in the moment, like I'm the only one looking out for this guy in any real way. And that yes, for sure, without a doubt, if they would have just power walked they would have won that thing no problem and i totally totally agree while the fault in this you know is obviously you know easy himself you you, you got to take some fault for you know just not being as up to the endurance side as was necessary to complete this one a lot of the fault here comes with the other guys on the veterans team. They really blew this in really Evan specifically uh, Evan and Kenny really blew this in a big, big way because a couple things here. One, the big the swimming portion was really took it out of easy at the start. Open water swim is really difficult. I think us challenge fans, we see them do this. We're like, eh, it's not that far or whatever, but we've never really swam in the ocean. And as someone who has and is about to actually, thankfully, uh, very blessed to say that I will be swimming in the ocean in a couple days time here. Uh, it's really hard to swim in open water. And the first big mistake the vets uh, make is Evan, you don't got to get to the beach first. You don't got to set this tone. None of that None of that matters. None of that matters. Your slowest person is what matters. And they leave CT back to come to help pull 
uh, easy along, but he's not doing it in the most encouraging of ways. He's just a lot of yelling when, in fact, they could have noticed and they should have just said from the start, Evan, Kenny, CT, all stay back with the slowest person. If that ends up being easy, Brad, too, all of them should have just stayed right there with them. Maybe you do a system where, like, hey, easy. You grab one of CT's ankles, one of Evan's ankles. You lay on your back, kick your feet. We're both going to swim with our arms, and we're going to pull as one big unit together. Any way you slice it, having extra people out there helping him all the way in would have been better in that way. Maybe the atmosphere also would have been better, save some of his energy. Then the next thing, yeah, putting Evan, you should have put easy in front. Literally put him in the front of the chain. And so that someone couldn't run away from him and end up pulling him and not totally knowing what's going on in the back and just Evan constantly in the front yelling, come on, come on, why are we not running? It's like, because you literally can't. You just literally can't. And then the last part, the, the, the craziest part of all of it is that he ends up falling and passing out just shy of the beach where if they would have just got, I mean, it's, it's in eyesight, so it's a couple hundred yards away. If they just get to that sliders board, he would get to sit down, have some more Gatorades, chill for a minute. From sliders to the next, the little, you know, they sit on the top of the log and pull themselves side to side. That one was, you know, maybe a couple hundred feet down the beach from sliders, and then the the digging up the chest was, you know, maybe a couple hundred yards down from that. So I feel like if they just get to that sliders board that he's able to make it to the end. He's able to sit more than have to walk. He's able to take the chains off at one point. They're able to give him as many Gatorades and waters as he want. They're able to have like, hey, I'm doing the sliders. You sit fan easy off, you know, maybe cup some ocean water and bring it over and pour it on his head, pour some water on his head, give him Gatorade, make sure he's good to go. I feel like it was just right there. It was just, just, just shy. And if they just would have walked a little bit or maybe the chains wouldn't have been involved or maybe they would have helped them on the swimming part, it could have happened. But I'm glad that all these years later, we can say, you know, Big Easy came back in the All-Stars world, made a final, finished a final in good fashion. So shout out to Big Easy. Love him to death. He was always and always will be such an awesome part of any season that he's on. But of course, the you know this is without a doubt the most iconic moment of the season, fair or not. It's the first thing you think of. It's got to win the award. It's what a big what if it is for so many different heavy hitters' careers in the challenge. So without a doubt, easy being taken off by the medics uh, without punching them in the face uh, should be said. He did goes into the challenge saying. You know, get any ideas of me quitting out because I ain't quitting until they roll me out of a stretcher and those medics are going to have black eyes because I'm going to punch both of them in the face. Uh, thankfully, he doesn't hit any medics uh, that we know of. So that is far and away, uh, unfortunately, fortunately, the most memorable, iconic moment of the season. Best episode of the season. Uh, interesting turn of events here. Normally, best episode often comes from the first third, but really the first third to half of the season where you got a lot of people around, a lot of interesting stuff can happen. And often the premieres kind of have a ceiling of how good they can be and the finales kind of have a ceiling of how good they can be. 
This season, though, totally inverted. Three of the nominees for the best episode of the season are episode one, the premiere, Viva Mexico, and episode nine, just literally called the finale. They really start giving up on episode titles uh, somewhere around this season. The third nominee, episode six, All Alone, where you get two very good eliminations, the veteran tension and the ideas of throwing all the rest of the challenges really uh, you know, take a turn for the worst and really kick up. That episode's very good, but it really does come down to the first and the last episode of the season are the two best, and I've got to give it to Viva Mexico. The premiere episode definitely benefits from the fact that, as we said at the very beginning of this whole thing, that these are basically two episodes smushed into one episode, so we get... You know, we get a lot of time in the house on this episode. We all, we do get two dailies, but only the one elimination at the end. And uh, it's just all great. We get everyone's hooking up with everyone. There's a big, big party night. There's some funny stuff going down. There's Coral and CT having a positive moment and a negative moment, but very interesting to watch those two interact. Um, good daily challenges, obviously the best one with the pinata pit, the mud wrestling, the whole thing. The first episode is the highest rated of the season. And uh, that's never happened before. So another challenge first. But episode one, Viva Mexico, the best episode of the season. And then we come to the big, big, big individual awards for performance. We got the rookie of the season and the full season MVP. We start with the rookie of the season, which for a, a season where it's the veterans versus the rookies, uh, there's not actually that many rookies as we would come to know in the actual word rookie, meaning first season ever. Most of the rookies are in their second season ever, but we still get a handful of them. And uh, the couple, a couple of them go home immediately. Alex and Angel, two of the uh, five or six rookies that we get this season are immediately going home. They're nowhere near this ranking. It comes down to the top three ends up being Brooke, Derek, and Tori. Brooke, an absolute tour de force, wonderful addition to the show for the couple brief episodes that she is there. She's doing a lot. It's all great. Love you, Brooke. Um, but only there a couple episodes. Has to kind of by default come in third. Then we've got Derek, the leader of the rookies team for as long as he's there. Exits about halfway through, two-thirds of the way through. Um, a good performance all around from him, but as you know, it's it's it, no matter fair or not, it's not the best look to be like, I'm the big strong guy leader of our team and that keeps losing to the other team of big strong guys. So, you know, fair or not, uh, he has that on his resume. So by default, Brooks third, Derek second, and we've got to give it to Tori, I guess is the rookie of the season because she gets all the way to the end and wins. Um, do I feel great about it? No, because I don't know that we actually get all that much. She gets in a couple arguments. Obviously, her and Brad are you know get together, but they're in the background for sure of all the different relationships going on this season. You know, they reference Brad and Tori a couple times, but it's not really any part of the storyline at all. But by default, you know, no one else gets anywhere near the end as far as the rookies go, and certainly doesn't win. So Tori getting that win as a rookie is our rookie of the season, which takes us into. The season MVP, full season MVP, everyone available for the award. Let's start with the where were you category, which only one person falls into this, and that's DM. DM makes it all the way to the final here. Her and CT are dating on this season, and we basically get nothing from her. She has the she has the least amount of confessionals of anyone that makes the final, of anyone that makes the six episodes or more, uh, it, which is pretty crazy. 
She's just not featured in any real way. Um, I don't know if production going in was like, oh, we got DM and CT together again, or maybe they were like, we've already done that, so we don't need to do anything about that, or maybe there wasn't anything you know cute and fun to go off of other than the one haircut. I don't know. But the only person that really falls into, you know, you're an MVP caliber cast member and have been in the past close to an MVP uh, winner where were you? DM's the only one falls in that category. The gone too soon category, three folks are found here. Tyler, Brooke, and Bananas. All three, uh, you know, have a huge impact in a short amount of time. Obviously, Tyler and Bananas, very good chance in the future. They're going to be battling it out. Uh, I could see a season in the future where those two might be the top two vote getters for a season MVP, possible winners of a season MVP. MVP in the future, but gone way too soon here to be considered. That brings us to our actual ballot. In our top five, we're going to tie for fifth between CT and Evelyn, who kind of fill the same role this season as, you know, the bravado of their team, of the machismo of their team, of the puffing their chest out and letting it be known. No one here is better than me, so I'm not scared. You're not going to throw me in an elimination. If you do, I'm going to win. We're going to win because I'm on this team. That whole shtick, they're both doing it um, on this season. They're both, you know, leaders of the let's get the rest of the women off of the team kind of thing. And uh, they both have impactful seasons. They both are very good competitors, uh, but they both have that dash of nastiness along with it. So they come in fifth place here. Fourth place, we got Jillian 3-0 in eliminations, the kind of star of the first third of the season. Her limbs are all very early on um and she kind of fades a little more to the background as her partner frank comes a little more to the foreground more on him in a second but jillian fantastic season all around gets the win three and oh in elimination she's definitely one of the stars of the show in the early going just fades a little late falls from uh possible contention for winning this award back to fourth place third place we got coral a previous mvp herself Yet another season where we have a handful of former MVPs in the cast. Still, no one has pulled off the two-time MVP. It's going to happen someday soon, I know. But Coral makes a good effort here. Comes in third. You know, she's got some great confessionals. She obviously, as we talked about, is a big part of the two big moments and the one person calling out all the dumb shit going on around her in every single possible way, goes out on her own terms, has the win over Beth. It's a very, very good final season from Coral. She comes in third. Second place, then, is Evan, and this is pretty much on the back of the top two here really on the back of just where the confessionals ended up and who really truly were just, you know, the faces of this season here because at the end of the season, pulling the numbers back up here, horrible podcasting content as I'm on the wrong page, but total confessionals this season, Evan had 53, Frank had 60. The next closest person was Nehemiah at 38. And so, Evan, as the leader of their team, we're getting almost all the narration this season from him. We're getting some good, funny commentary, some also nasty, dumb, unfortunate commentary. But he's kicking ass in all the challenges. He's a pivotal part of why they maybe lose the final because of how fast he's trying to push everyone. And uh, he's just very present this season. He's very, you know, made out to be, you know, one of the new stars of the show for certain. And he ends up coming in second in the MVP ballot because of all of that. The winner 
as just referenced though moments ago, twice during this, is Frank. And uh, pretty shocking MVP uh, coming into this rewatch series. If you would have said, you remember that Frank's an MVP of a season, right? I'd be like, oh, I like Frank, but he was an MVP. And then you get to this season, you're like, yeah, he's the unquestionable MVP of this season. He is on the winning team at the end. He is the best player on that team. He goes 3-0 in eliminations, three impressive elimination victories. Technically, if you want to get really, really technical, asterisk on it, he goes 3-1 because when he's giving Katie the answers to sliders versus Adam giving Paula the answers to sliders, Adam beats him, and it literally is Adam versus Frank, but they're not that ones actually in there, so it doesn't count. So 3-0 wins, you know, finds the love of his life in Jillian, uh, defends her honorably many times, uh, fails in defending her and keeping her out of the elimination, but defends her uh, very honorably in trying to do so, makes multiple deals and near the end of the season that his team won't back him up on, causing conflict between him and his team. is like, I'm the best player and you need me and Nehemiah to stay because none of the other guys are here, but also... Every time I try to do something to help us, you guys go against it. Uh, so that's entertaining and interesting. And again, 60 confessionals where third place is at 38. He's not just narrating, but he is the star of the show, the face of it. It has a lot to do with going in the eliminations and, you know, Jillian going into so many eliminations. But far and away in a season where, you know, maybe no one stands out as a like massive, massive clear cut MVP. What an unbelievable greatest performance of all time type of season. Frank fills in as just a really good season, uh, MVP worthy for certain. And with no one else really coming up to try to take it from him, he, uh, he takes home, takes home the belt. So Frank from Las Vegas, welcome to the MVP club. And yet again, our 15th newest member of the club. No one has pulled off the two-time MVP yet. I have a feeling it will happen soon, but hats off to Frank for winning it for the Gauntlet 3. With that, we come to the final topic of discussion. We've got to grade the season. We've got to place it in the Pantheon for all time. And as always, we will do so with our four subcategories. First, female cast, male cast, sport grade, show grade, and then give it its overall grade. It is not an average of the subgrades. It's all subjective. It's all what I think and believe in my heart of hearts. These are my record books. I am the official record keeper. What I say does in fact go, and this is what I have to say about this season in conclusion. Female cast first. We're looking at a B minus on the female cast side. Heavy hitters, we've got DM, Evelyn, Paula, Katie, Coral, Beth. That's really great, but we've also in the solid category, Robin, Casey, Jillian, Johanna, Tori, Janelle, and Brooke. And in the duds category, we unfortunately had three duds, Rachel, Melinda, and Angel. Um, So, uh, heavy in the solid category. Yes, there's a good amount of heavy hitters, as many as we've really had before, but that's because other seasons where there's 20 cast members, and only 10 women, you know, six or seven are heavy hitters and like, holy shit, 60 to 70% versus this season, we get 16, most of them in the solid category, almost as many duds as heavy hitters. That brings us down to still a solid cast. It's still in the B range, which is still, you know, above average, still pro on the good side of the spectrum moving the things forward, but just barely makes it into that uh, category. So a B minus there in almost a mirror image 
over on the mail cast side, which also gets a B minus pretty much the same story here. Heavy hitters. Yes, we got a good amount of them. Brad, CT, Evan, Kenny, Bananas, Tyler, but we've got mostly solid contributors. Adam, Easy, Frank, Nehemiah, Ryan, MJ, Derek. We've got four duds in the mix, Danny, Zach, Tyree, and Alex, uh, with respect to Tyree and Zach, who I like a lot. Um, it just, as we said last podcast, it just never really works out for Tyree um, on these seasons where there was a lot of potential there and just for a lot of reasons, not even in his own control. This season, uh, you know, prayers up many, many years later to his girlfriend who had open heart surgery, which is why he has to leave this season. One of the, you know, uh, Unfortunately, there's been a, a slew of people over the years that have to leave for you know medical issues within their family. Uh, we always hope for the best in those circumstances. But male cast, same basically as the female cast. Yes, out of 17 people, uh, it makes the fact that there's six heavy hitters here a little bit less. There's mostly solid contributors, some duds, some heavy hitters. It falls still in the positive side of the range. It just sneaks into the B range, but it is a B minus compared to a lot of the cast we've had before. It's not quite as skewed towards that heavy hitter side. Then we got the sports grade. Lowest sports grade in a while here for a season. We're going with a C plus. There's a lot of creativity at play, which I like. The production design and uh, amount of work that goes into the production, I appreciate and is cool. But there's really nothing super memorable. There's no elimination that's going to stay in our minds forever that's going to be anywhere near a best elimination ever bracket. There's no daily performance that'll stay in our mind or be the best athletic performance ever. Ball brawl is really cool, though. That helps. That keeps it from the real doldrums of really falling to the lower ranks of Cs or in the backwards portion of the spectrum. Um, But it's all in all not competitive at all. Nothing super memorable. Can't go any higher than a C plus on the sport grade. And then on the show grade, is where it gets its highest subgrade of the season. We're giving a B, a full B, uh, for the show itself. There are some memorable moments. There is a crazy amount of hookups, as we talked about. And there is, even if some of it's nasty and ugly, there's a lot of backstabbing. There's a lot of throwing of challenges. There's a lot of shenanigans. And there is entertainment value in that, as well as some unfortunate stuff within that. So all in all, the show itself, there it is entertaining um, at different times. It is interesting. It is, you know, you don't totally know what you're going to get or see episode to episode. So the show grade still get pulls off a respectable B that brings us though, to the overall grade and the overall grade, we've got to go ahead and say it's a C plus. Now that ties it with, uh, a handful of other seasons for, you know, pretty low in the ranks of seasons, but of those seasons that rank as a C plus, I would say confidently that the Gauntlet Three is at the top of that list. Um, that list includes seasons like Road Rules All Stars Season One, Extreme Challenge Season Four, Battle of the Sexes Two Season Nine, and the Inferno Three Season Fourteen that we had just previously talked about. So that is now this is the fifth C plus rated season the worst season of all time remains battle of the sexes one to this point at a C minus but of those five that are at a C plus I would put this one pretty confidently at the top of it because the C plus is really just dragged down by the fact that the competition and the production issues and some of the ugliness involved and the cast being slightly you know the bigger cast not necessarily meaning 
as many stars as a percentage as some previous seasons. But overall, compared to the other C-plus ones, there's more going on here. There's more interesting things going on here, and there are enough uh, big-name cast members and big memorable moments to elevate it above something like an Inferno 3 where we said, you know, it's just kind of boring the whole way through, even if the cast is stacked. A Sexes 2 where... It's kind of boring because all the men just get along so well that there's just nothing really going on. They are just win daily challenges and seem like they're having a great time, but there's not a lot from the TV side. And, you know, a Rodals All-Star Extreme Challenge where they're still figuring out what the hell's going on here and, you know, working through. They're good. They're fun to watch, but they don't have everything that further seasons of the show would have. So C-plus is the final grade. It's the top of the C-plus rankings for me right now, but it's got to be in that category. It does not have enough going on for it to get itself into the B range, into the B tier. So it's a C-plus, but out of 15, that means it's above one and five others. So, you know, it's sixth worst, which is ninth best out of 15, somewhere around there if I can do forwards, backwards math at the same time. So is it still a very good season? Yes, it's still worth watching. Uh, I would say, though, it is another one where the second season in a row where it doesn't advance the challenge forward. It just also doesn't move it back at all. And if anything, it at least it's it's a C plus. It's turning it's facing forward. It's not even thinking about going backwards, but it doesn't take a full step yet. It doesn't jump off that ledge, um, but. It's, you know, it's still it's still facing forward, maybe not moving forward. It's a C plus is what I'm trying to say for the 50,000th time. That is where this season ends up. That is all I've got to say about the Gauntlet 3. With that, thank you so much for being here. We've covered it all. We've talked about it all. And as we said at the top of the podcast, the rewatch series will continue on. Just going to take a couple weeks off here so that we can talk about the Corals of the world, the Timmys of the world, the Theos of the world, the Veronicas of the world, the Mrs. of the world in more deep detail. We're going to take a pause on the season deep dives and go into the player OG legends of the game deep dives for the next few weeks. So make sure you've hit that follow subscribe button so that you don't miss any of those. Also, if you're someone who's more of a watcher versus a listener, head on over to YouTube. These are all available on YouTube, and those player retrospectives will be very clip-heavy, very highly more edited videos than just me talking into the microphone, so it may be worth checking them out in both versions. But either way, however you're consuming this, I thank you for doing so, and I thank all of those who have been reaching out on Instagram at Challenges Story, and you want to get in touch, you want to just talk challenge, you want to give me some feedback about these shows, things you like, don't like, want to see me do want to see me change hit me up at challenge historian on instagram we've been getting a bunch of messages this week um loving the feedback some really good ideas being brought to the table and just fun to get some other opinions and ideas and thoughts about the challenge i love talking the challenge if you are needing someone to banter about this wonderful show that we all love hit me up that's what i'm here for so with that thank you for being here have a wonderful weekend. We'll be back next week with some Challenge USA, some player retrospectives, and a whole bunch of good content coming. Thanks, as always. Talk to you soon. Peace.